Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. It's a classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends and we talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we are talking about the film Anti-Mame from 1958 with my fabulous guest, Jamie Lynn Beatty. Jamie, welcome back to the podcast. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I mean, I'm just as honored. Yeah, we watched Anti-Mame this week, which is one of my personal favorite movies of all time. I asked Jamie to watch it with me. Jamie, what did you think? I mean, I'm in love. Right? Okay, good. It's really delightful. And it just, it fills you with this sense of like, you have to reevaluate how you're living. Like I left it being like, and which is the the mod like the whole, her whole line in this is like life is a banquet and whatever like most the, poor suckers are starving. Right, it's like I don't want to starve. I want to live. This is the worst movie to watch during quarantine when I can't do anything but stay in in my house. I want to go to India and <laughs> where else to Paris and the Matterhorn and like anyway. Yeah, it's it's just the most delightful film in it. The true delight, and she is inspiring. She is. Excellent. Okay, first she being Rosalind Russell, but first we're going to do, I'll do a plot summary, and then we're just going to chat about this movie. I have so much I want to talk about. Okay, Okay. go, go, go. All right, so this movie, Auntie Mame, 1958. It's about uh, this woman, Mame Dennis, and her nephew, Patrick Dennis, who his father, he's being raised, we never meet the father, but he's being raised in a very staunch conservative way in Chicago. His father writes a will that's like, If I die, my son will go to my crazy sister. He uses the word crazy to describe her. And he's like, I would not wish this on dogs, but still, my son will go to this woman. So anyway, in the will, he leaves the kid to maim under, you know, she has to be watched by Mr. Babcock to make sure she's bringing him up appropriately. The father dies one day after he makes this will, and the kid is sent to his Auntie Mames. She lives on Three Beekman Place in New York. And she is this awesome, bohemian, incredible woman that you wish you knew. Um, And she hosts these big, beautiful parties. And she completely falls in love with Patrick. I feel like normally this story is like, um, they would begrudge the child. Like, oh no, I have a kid to raise now. But she's like, I love it. And he's going to do all my fun adventures with me. And so it's like a series of vignettes between Auntie Mame and Patrick as Patrick grows up. And she's trying to keep him from becoming like a conservative, close-minded monster like the rest of the Babcocks of the world. Um, and it's absolutely fabulous. They go on lots of adventures and lots of hilarity ensues, but still with like very beautiful lovely, quiet moments as well. Um, One of the reasons this movie is so special to me is that usually at this time of year, there's this thing called Outfest in LA, and it's like uh, gay-themed films, so like LGBTQ plus films. It's a festival for that, and they show this film as a Christmas screening. It's always sold out, um, and they do a costume contest before the film, which is just drag galore, like such beautiful drag ensembles. And um, during the film, it's kind of like Rocky Horror. So people will shout things during the film at certain parts, or they'll bring like jingle bells for when she's wearing those jingle bracelets. And the joy in the theater, you, you, next year if they still do it, you can come. But it's like the joy that is in that theater is absolutely incredible. So I remember the first time I went to this, I don't think it was the first time I saw Auntie Beam, I think I saw it in high school, but it just was so special to me. 
Um, so I always take that with me. This is a movie whenever you're sad or feeling blue, like put this movie on, you will feel so much better. Um, so yes, that's my history with Anti-Mame. Also, my book club read the book Anti-Mame last year, and I actually prefer the movie to the book because the movie, first of all, the book doesn't have that line about life's a banquet and most poor suckers are starving. It's not even in the book. But the book is a little more... Um, comedic and kind of darker like it's not as sweet um it's still great but the movie is so has so much heart it is so absolutely sweet to its core so i think i personally preferred the movie and also as a total side story i won the raffle last year they had a raffle for the anti-mame thing so it was me on stage with all these amazing drag queens um because they were doing the costume contest i won the raffle and the prize was you win an american cinematech membership for a full year and i won it and then covid happened and i couldn't ever use it but in a packed house i still i felt so great i won that raffle and i think the trick was I was wearing red lipstick that night and I kissed my entry and had the red lipstick outline on my entry. And I swear to God, it was like my anti-mame action for good luck. And then I won that contest. That is so wonderful. So anyway, that's my very long-winded story, but I love this movie. (laughs) And there you go. I I feel like I want to thank you for bringing it into my life. You like nailed it when you were just like, it makes you feel so good about life. It's just so beautiful. Like it's got the most beautiful message about being true to yourself and like indulging and not being ashamed about it and oh yeah I'm gonna cry thinking about it she's just such a a wonderful role model and feminist and it's interesting you brought up something when I watched it that I was like I want an anti-mame in my life and then as I was watching it I I was like I don't want an anti-mame I want to be an anti-mame same that's actually what I mean I want to be an anti-mame but you, you want both like you want it's just like anti-mame gives you permission to just fully like live and like eat rattlesnake and <laughs> uh, it's just yeah and redecorate your apartment and redecorate and your apartment suits. five times a year and yeah. And travel and be inclusive. Like she's so interested mm-hmm. in in other cultures and seeing the world. And there's there are moments Very when you're like for this time. It, for- it totally is. Well, so this movie was made in the 1950s, um, which if you think about it, like what a conservative time. Men are back from the war. And women go to your kitchens. Men go to work. Was you know we're all in these really specific gender roles. And this movie comes out in 1958, and it shows one of the reasons it's like a queer staple is one of the first things you see in the movie. When Patrick opens the door into Auntie Mame's apartment, well, technically Ido opens the door, but it's fine. Um, you see, like, a gay scene. You see, like, yeah. lesbians in suits yeah. together on film. You see yeah. all different kinds of people in one room. Um, I wrote down, actually, like, how you know it's a crazy, unique party. Um, I wrote down the different things that they were doing. It was like, there are lesbians in suits. There's a man playing piano upside down. There's a monkey different languages are spoken. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's how they're showing us. It's eclectic. Um, I what There were moments I was wondering about like cultural appropriation. I was like, is this appreciation or appropriation? Not totally sure. I feel like that's forgiving given the time this that is it true. was made. And given, like, given the time that it was made and based also in the 20s yeah. when there was like a lot of interest in like Chinese culture. Sure. Although Edo is not Chinese. <laughs> Just... Sure. Putting that out there. Because that was the only semi-racist. So as like on the show, I always bring up like, what well, doesn't hold up today? The moments that didn't hold up necessarily were when her and Vera sing the like really racist Chinese sure, song. Sure, And then Ido, the character, is a mix. It's like the character comes off as a little racist, but at least it's a Japanese person playing it. 
and that character is Japanese, and they're also sure. gay. So, like, there's yeah, there's totally. a lot of layers there. I feel like we're looking at it through a 2020 lens. Not that I'm saying I forgive this, but I, I understand, like, there's a journey to learning and accepting and like bettering yourself by being more inclusive and I feel like this was like the first step in the journey is even just embracing the culture and then obviously as we've learned over the years there are appropriate ways to do that and inappropriate ways to do that and you know we're, we're still growing and learning yeah I don't know yeah, well, and it did take the progressive stance. Like, we're going to get to this exactly, big moment exactly. in the movie about, like, them hating Jewish people and Auntie Mae being like, uh, no. Right. So, like, at least they have progressive exactly. standpoints like that. We'll get there. But, like, yeah, let's go through the vignettes. So this movie is told through various vignettes, and they end each vignette with, like, a blackout except for yeah. Auntie Mame's face, which glows, and you're it's like, so Ooh. theatrical. <laughs> it's so yeah. theatrical. Well, it's based on the play. Uh, so they did the book. They made a play. The play was a hit. Rosalind Russell was Auntie Mame in the play. Yeah. They started to make Mame? a movie about it. So, I'm glad you brought that up. Mame is the musical version of Auntie Mame that came out in the 60s with Angela Lansbury and B. Arthur. Oh. And Jerry Herman, who wrote Hello, Dolly, wrote the music. And then they made a movie Mame with Lucille Ball. And I think it's Robert Preston, the guy that was the music man. Um, and... It was supposed to be, it wasn't great. I, I remember watching it and being like, it's fine, but I haven't watched it in a long time. It did really badly. I feel like it's fine. This is way better. Like, Auntie Mame 1958 is where it's at. But that's the, the history of Mame on wow. film. Um, yeah. I will say Rosalind Russell, too, in that first scene, you know, the scene where she's like running down the steps and she goes, I'm your Auntie Mame. Yes. She broke her ankle on the first day of production running down those steps, <gasps> and they had to halt production. Yes. Oh, my God. She is a tour de force. She really is. Here's the thing, Sarah, and I, I slipped. I didn't want to Google anything during this movie. That's okay. What but happened? I slipped because I was, I was actually so convinced that I was correct that it took me three quarters of the way through the movie to finally Google it because I just was like, I don't need to Google this. I know this is a fact. For three quarters of the movie I was convinced I was like this woman played Quella DeVille in 101 Dalmatians I was like it is oh, Quella no. DeVille she has that voice and I was like the yeah. cigarette and I was like this is them like Disney giving an homage to her and then I looked it up and I it was somebody else I was waiting for her to say Anita darling and like it never came Jamie thank you for bringing that up because I never put that together at all um that that I mean I think it's because it's so different than sure, Rosalind Russell know. in general Sure. Like, she, she's played a wide gambit. Her career is really interesting. Do you want to just, I guess we'll just get into her. We'll do her yeah. and then we'll talk more about the movie. I love Rosalind Russell so much. She is one of my favorite old-timey actresses because she's not your basic, like, beautiful lady. She's she like has, a Catherine Hepburn. She's like a Catherine Hepburn, and her comedy chops are so strong. Mm -hmm. And I know she was frustrated, so her whole story is like, Rosalind Russell, born to a super Catholic family in Connecticut. Um, she's one of seven kids. She lied to her family to get to go to acting classes. She told them she was going to become a teacher. And so she enrolled in at ADA, um, American Academy of Dramatic Art, uh, got acting training, started working in summer stock, ends up like getting signed by Universal, hates Universal. She feels like unconfident, unappreciated there. 
she wants to get out of the contract because she's like, oh shit, this isn't going to work for me. So she wears like a really unflattering outfit and goes in and kind of like behaves all frumpy and is like, sorry, I accidentally signed with MGM too. I just didn't know. Is it okay if I go with them? And Universal's like, you're gross. You're ugly. Yes, get out of here. And she's like, ha 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 ha. Like I can go be at MGM now. And MGM, they use her a lot, but she ends up playing like a sophisticated lady all the time. She plays either sophisticated or like the jilted lover and that's kind of her typecast. And she likes working at MGM, but she hates that role because she feels like it's so shallow and there's nowhere to go. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's used as Myrna Loy's like, not double, but like if Myrna Loy, if they want Myrna Loy to get a better salary, they threaten her with like, well, we'll just get Rosalind Russell and put her in your part. So she would play a lot of like the Myrna Loy type parts. So she plays those parts and then she gets into George Cukor's The Women and it is her first like big comedy role on screen and she is excellent in that movie. She is so hilarious and that movie changed her life in more ways than one because her future husband saw that movie on a cruise ship and developed a huge crush on her Um, and so eventually she her like other big breakout roles. So I feel like that's her big comedy breakout role. And then she does this movie called His Girl Friday. Have you ever heard of that movie with Cary Grant? Yes. I watched. Yes. Yes. Yep. So she's great in that too. Another screwball comedy. She's so funny. She's great at playing like tough working women. And that kind of cements her status as that, which she enjoys playing a lot more. But then because of that movie, His Girl Friday, her husband is a friend of Cary Grant's. And he ends up staying at his guest house while Cary Grant is shooting that movie. And he had developed this crush on her because of the women. So he like begs Cary Grant to introduce them and they get married and they're married for 35 years. Wow, that's beautiful. Isn't that really sweet? Okay, so that's like her life there. Um, Her roles end up being really cool. Like through the 40s and 50s, she ends up playing like very smart, very in charge women. I think probably what are some of her best roles? I mean, His Girl Friday... Uh, my sister Eileen, she's great in. She ends up doing the musical Wonderful Town, which you would be great in, by the way. Um, and she wins a Tony for that. And um, then she ends up doing Auntie Mame on stage, gets the movie Auntie Mame, and then does Gypsy. She's in Picnic. She's in The Trouble with Angels. These are all some of her <sighs> biggest hits, and they're all varied. They're all very different roles. And she's just, she can pull off this smart, capable confidence so yeah. well. Um, and she was never really a sex symbol. And Meryl Streep had talked about this once. Someone asked why Meryl Streep thinks her career can, like, it's Terry Gross. Terry Gross asked Meryl Streep, why do you think your career has gone on for so long? And she's like, because I was never a sex symbol. Mm. Since no one ever looked at me that way or expected me to stay beautiful or cute or whatever, I could play lots of different kinds of people. I love that. And I think that's how Rosalind Russell was, where it's like, I have this great personality. I can infuse it into all these different roles. Interesting. So I'm going to survive in the business. Wow. That's a crazy great way to look at this business that sells itself on sex like what an irony what an ironic thing yeah because all the sex symbols careers end up being pretty short if they don't have a lot of other stuff going for them or if they're not given the shot yeah that sucks yeah so let's dive back into the movie through all the vignettes we start with the big party being introduced with patrick and nora Nora is like Patrick's caretaker who ends up becoming one of Mame's like workers because if you meet Mame, you love her. So yeah, we've got this big, fabulous party, a very cool cigarette holder. A door that smokes. Everything is so theatrical. That's the thing is like, if I really want to commit to the Mame lifestyle, I was like Googling velvet robes that I could buy on Amazon. I was like, I gotta up my appearance. I don't know. I mean, it sounds dumb, but I was kind of like, if I'm being honest, I think I I am good at seeking out adventures in life. Like I, I, I think that part of Mame I have down but like 
watching it made me, it was a really, I went through like a whole self exploration and journey in that movie. I have watched it being like, I should dress nicer just in general in life. Cause like, it just makes, that's part of living. I don't know. Who knows? I think this is me coming from quarantine where every day I wear sweatpants. So I missed being like, I want to wear an outfit that I can't breathe in. Like that sounds fun. Well, also let's state this too. Like, I think it's easier to be Mae when you have a lot of money. She oh, doesn't think about for- money. She was raised with money. Sure. And she's fearless. Yeah. That's my other admiration of her is like when she does go broke, like the stock market crashes, she doesn't have money. Yeah. She still is like, I'm going to try all these different jobs. I don't care if I fail. Things will work out. And they do well, work out for her. for you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I do think that's kind of the difference. Like, I wonder if like... Sure money and security and things like that weren't such a thing how we might live differently indeed but yeah the the sense of adventure is just epic and her she's so witty the one-liners mm-hmm. oh are my god so quick yeah the one-liners so were i was dying i think especially just the introduction to patrick as a kid in the party when she's like what do you want a martini oh you can't drink like she like doesn't know how to act around a kid i will say the moment that like made me pause where I was just like, did I hear this scene correctly? Is him explaining the progressive school that he goes to? First of all, yogurt time is like the greatest thing. But then fishing family, family fishes, what, that is some sexy things for children to be doing. Is, did I understand that correctly? You, I, you did, I, see, the, it requires us looking up what fish actually do, which I did not do. Because I was like, please I tell me that. you're not putting your sperm into the ladies that are children. I did do that. What did it say, Jamie? I, I think I put it down because I just wanted to confirm that it was sexual. And then I was like, oh, it is, but I need to move on. But I was just like, that's what it was. I was shocked. Let's look it up. I'm going to explain to the viewers at home this yes, moment. Please. So what ends up happening is Patrick goes to live with Mame. She instantly loves him, calls him my little love. It's adorable. She enrolls him in a school, but she tells Mr. Babcock, the trustee, she's enrolling him in a fancy boy's school. Where she actually enrolls him is a nudist school run by her friend. And Mr. Babcock finds him there, and he's explaining Auntie Mame, this is what he saw, and it's totally normal. And he describes what's going on, and he's basically like, the girl fish who are naked go squat and lay their eggs, and then the boy fish go over there and do what boy fish do. And you're like, they're naked, they're playing fish family. It sounds a little fishy to me. It's so obscene sounding. Like, group sex for, like, children? I don't know. That was the only part where I just literally paused, and I was like, am I hearing this? This is like... You are. That's the only thing Auntie Mame did that I was like, ooh, I don't... about that I see where you were going you don't want him to be like stuck up and mean and awful but like regular school is still okay (laughs) it was wild I I will say yogurt time I can only imagine that that event you were talking about really does something when they say yogurt time in the movie do they like all throw yogurt at the screen no so a lot of what it is is just saying the lines with the people so you have to know what lines to say out loud. Oh, okay, so sure. when she goes, I'm your Auntie Mame, they everyone says did. that with her. I would go to this event and be like, yogurt time. <laughs> and it's crickets. Crickets. And I also was like, do you mean yoga? Are you really? Because it could have been yoga too. They mentioned yoga a lot in this movie. No, I love yoga. You really time. think it's yoga. I really love yogurt time. <laughs> I need to make that a part of my daily. Also, they kept that little boy from the play. So that's the same uh, boy that did the play. And I feel like he might have been older in the movie. Like, because if the play ran for like two years on Broadway, he would have been two years younger. Because <laughs> he was getting a little bit older than I think he was meant to be. But anyway, that little boy, same boy. Yes. 
Um, I also thought of you, again, jumping way ahead. We'll get there. But when that woman makes that tuna fish weird gross dish with, like, tuna fish peanut butter. The Upton. The Upsons. I thought of you because of the devil and Miss Jones when they made tuna popovers. I was like, oh, my God, every movie I watch with Jamie is somehow going to have tuna in it now. Weird tuna. Yeah, tuna was really – people really made fun of tuna back then. I feel bad for tuna. Tuna's great. Um, so one of the early vignettes is, so Mame's best friend is Vera Charles, who is an alcoholic who also gets drunk and has very sassy one-liners. The stock market crashes, Mame doesn't have a job, and Vera's like, oh my god, become an actor. If this Babcock man sees you have a stable job like actor, he's for sure gonna, like, let Patrick come back, which made me laugh. Oh, also, Patrick is sent away. So after this debacle, Mr. Babcock is the trustee that we don't like, who's very conservative and wants Patrick to grow up to be a straight white man just like him. And so he takes Patrick away from Mame and he says, you can only see her, him on holidays in summer. He's mine. He's going to go to my alma mater. And so Patrick is sent away. So Auntie Mame doesn't have a job. She's lost all her money. So she gets a job in Vera's play. And um, she only has three lines at the end of the play, but she manages to like fuck it up spectacularly. She wears these very loud jingly bracelets, which are featured in the beginning of the movie. The first shot we see in the whole movie is a red, like, silk glove with the jingly bracelets, a cigarette holder, and Auntie Mame pulls up with her hand a kaleidoscope because she wants you to look at the world in a different way. And I was like, that is so clever, you opening credit sequence. So anyway, Auntie Mame is backstage. She's making a fucking ruckus with those bangly, jingly bracelets. She ruins Vera's play because <laughs> the bracelets are loud. She gets stuck to Vera's jacket with the bracelets. It's such an embarrassment. She gets fired from the play. She gets numerous jobs. She works at Macy's um, and she gets a job as like a sales girl, a sales assistant. And she meets the handsome Southern Beau Burnside. They end up actually falling in love, which is incredibly sweet. And her depression lasts only a minute because he's super rich. But before they get married, she goes to meet and visit his family, who are these, like, such stereotypical southern plantation owners. With great accents. And we meet the grandma, who is basically Foghorn Leghorn, but an old woman. And who, to me, I saw her and I was like, you look like something in the Haunted Mansion ride at Disneyland. Like, that is your physical appearance. And something that they cut out from the book that I wish they had put in the movie is in the book she has terrible flatulence. They, like, mention it a lot. And I wish that they had somehow incorporated that. I get it would have made it less classy, but they end up doing, like, a hunt. And Mame is bragging, obviously, about being able to ride a horse. And Beauregard's old girlfriend, Sally Cato, uh, arranges it so that Mame has to go on this hunt with them. And she gives her the meanest horse and she wants Mame to fail But, of course, Mame succeeds in one of the most hilarious physical comedy moments on film I have ever seen. When they try to put her on a horse, I die every time. It gets me every time. What did you think of that moment, Jamie? Were you dying? Yeah, at that point, I was just like, this movie does everything. Like, if I had, like, started it and then, like, at the beginning and then came in at that scene, I'd be like, is this a different movie? Like, I couldn't believe the locations and, like, the... I mean, the outfits and stuff. Yeah, it was very, it's very broad comedy and I love, and it's all female driven. It was great. Thank you for saying that. Cause what I was noticing is that all of the best parts, all of the best moments are driven by women. 
all mm-hmm. of them. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, yes. the men are like, the, yeah. They're nothing. And I was actually, someone said this about the director where it's like, he was smart because he knew to get the hell out of the way. Like the director mm-hmm. does nothing special because he doesn't need to. He's got everything he needs in front of him. He's got the sets, he's got the costumes, and he's got yeah. these women. And that's all you need. Yeah, it's really, it's, Yeah, it's their it's show. Inspired. When I think of people like John Belushi who say like women aren't funny, I want to be like. Is that John Belushi said that? Yes, he, it is. The women in this movie are funnier than John Belushi yeah. ever was <laughs> like <laughs> I don't think I ever liked John Belushi but but yeah they're so perfect anyway I wanted to stop on that southern scene although we have nothing to really say about other than it's like hilarious watching Auntie Mame get on a horse the physical comedy just watch that moment you can I just say for thoughts. a second I've noticed this you keep calling it Auntie Mame and my instinct was to say Auntie Mame is there a difference so she does say Auntie. she calls herself Auntie Mame Okay. Patrick calls her Auntie Mame oh interesting I feel like that's like a like Target Target thing well, I'm from the Midwest, so my body doesn't mean to even say auntie. It just does. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know that in my heart it should be auntie. If I was a correct human, it would be auntie. But my Midwestern bones oh, I get it. keep going auntie. I guess I'm a Patrick. We're all a Patrick. And we're all an auntie, auntie mame. Yeah. I feel like they show really good examples of not toxic masculinity in this movie. So, like, thinking of Bo, he's such a good partner. Yes. He loves and respects her. He's like, if Mame says she can do it, she can do it. Um, He doesn't get jealous of her relationship with Patrick. They show how much he kind of cares about that relationship with them too. Through the the moments on the boat when they're leaving and through like, oh, I knew you were worried about Patrick, so I booked us passage home. Like he he understands her relationship with Patrick. I also feel like I'm like mad at society. Considering this movie was made in the 50s, I'm like, why did we take so many steps backwards with like – gay rights and just I feel like given that the fact that anti-mame was made when it wasn't the message that it gives off you'd think we would have like come further and been more accepting like it's crazy that we took so many steps back with like homophobia and like like I'm thinking in my mind when when I when I was like watching her like raise a kid I was like I could see how people would be like this boy is going to be like become gay because he's around this feminine energy and like flamboyance and like wearing jewels and stuff, which is obviously, I mean, I don't think that, but I'm saying like, that's like what society would is sometimes like afraid of like this, like panic of like, Oh, it's going to rub off and like destroy our manliest men. And like, God forbid they have like feminine characteristics. But I think the movie is brilliant in that it like doesn't fall into that stereotype because like no he completely is his own person and like it tells you you shouldn't be afraid of exposing people to that I don't know it makes me sad for society that we took steps backwards I agree you actually just opened a really cool door to the author of this piece so the guy that wrote this wrote under the pseudonym Patrick Dennis which is the name of the character so people thought this was real um, but it's fiction. So his real name was um, Edward Everett Tanner III was his real name. And he really did have an aunt that was kind of mamish that this is supposedly based on, his Aunt Marion. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not 100% like, you know, autobiographical. But he's very interesting because he kind of led a dual life where he was married, he had two kids, he led this like ordinary father by day life, and then he was bisexual. So at night he would like be a part of the Greenwich Village gay scene. And he was like out about this. Like this wasn't a secret. This wasn't like something he was ashamed of. So he had these two different lives within himself that he lived, um, which I think is completely fascinating. And he ended up in his life becoming a butler. So the writing career, he's like a writer for a really long time. Name is a huge hit. He writes a sequel. Um, which he dedicates to Rosalind Russell, actually. <laughs> and then um, eventually his book goes out of print, and to make money, he becomes a butler. 
and the family he butlers or buttles or whatever it's called for has no idea who he is. He goes by the name Tanner and they don't know that like a famous writer is buttlering for them and he loves doing it. He really enjoys being a butler. Wow. So yeah, and I just love that dichotomy within him because you were saying that with like, it's such a shame that people are so scared of like, oh, you're gonna, you know, take away the manliness, bring out the wrong right, thing. But right. I think his life, he was like, look, I can have, I can be both but That's things. wonderful. I know. And that's like, ultimately, I'm, I'm just saying like, that's such a wonderful message. Like, I just feel like everyone needs to see this movie throughout history. I wish you go back in time and make this required viewing for every decade because everyone like needs like to see it yeah. and it's it works at christmas too because <laughs> yeah. it's got those christmas moments so i'm like i love watching it around christmas that's why outfest does it at christmas they would be showing it in it's like so two good. weeks and i would be going i feel like the wardrobe department was having so much fun with these costumes that they were like can we make it christmas just because like we got some great christmas outfits we need to showcase like just give us a little bit of christmas they really just seized every opportunity. Well, in the song, We Need a Little Christmas, you know, we need a little Christmas. Yeah. That's from Mame the Musical. So that was that moment. It plops right in so beautifully. Oh, yeah. I think Mame says the line, like, we need a little Christmas. And I was like, right this very minute. Yeah, that's, that's that moment. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. What other so, songs yeah. are from Mame? Um, oh my God, what songs aren't from Or that Mame? I would know. I have the like record. That. There's, um, have you ever heard of Bosom Buddies? It's like, Maybe? we'll always be bosom buddies, oh, friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. There's, oh, the opening song, the dun, 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 <laughs> You know, the something, something, it's today. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope, but I love it. It's a decent musical. It's got some good songs. I think Needle of Christmas is the one that I know. That's the famous one. That's the that famous one. That and Bosom Buddies are like the top two, okay. I think, that people know. Um, if you walked into my life, that's the song. Oh yes, I do know that. So yes, those are like the big hits. It's decent. So the Village Voice wrote this really cool article about this movie and why it's so important to like gay culture. And they were talking about how it's one of the first instances that shows a chosen family. That shows like, look, you can find people in your life who give you love and support and it might be like different. Oh, I love that. But it's, yeah, it's still lovely and beautiful. And that's what Mame does for herself. The people that love her and mean something to her and that are there for her aren't necessarily the members of her family. That's beautiful. Right? They're Ido, they're Nora, they're Vera, they're Lindsay, they're all these other... That's really beautiful. Aww. So anyway, I liked that a lot. She gets married, Auntie Meme gets married. It's important to mention she does get married for love. She, I don't think she would get married if she was not in love. They go on like a whirlwind tour of the world and many years pass and Patrick goes to college. And did you see those boys wearing those uniforms in his college with like the weird hats and the sweaters with the R's? That was one of the costumes that people were wearing last year to the theater. That was one of the, if you came in a group, you wore those costumes. And Ah, I I loved that so much. It was adorable. So yes, Patrick goes to college. He's slowly sort of becoming a little bit like obnoxious white man conservative. So Mame gets the feeling she needs to head back and like rescue him. Because what happens is like if ever he goes too far in the conservative way, she comes back and reminds him like, hey, Mm -hmm. life doesn't have to be like this. But her husband dies. They're climbing the Matterhorn. They establish early on her husband (laughs) likes to take pictures from high angles. I think I wrote down like, no, Bo, photos will be the death of you. No. He falls off the Matterhorn while trying to take a picture of Mame. While yodeling. It was such a like a comical way to take it. Such a dark thing. It's like, how do we make someone's death funny? And they're like, just having yodel on the way down. Because otherwise it could get really dark. Because it is still sad. You're like, no, not Bo. But like, you're right. They handle it really well. Were you surprised that Bo died? Did you see it coming? I mean, I was very surprised that he died. I, I I, I think I just like, as I watched it, I was just like, is that what that means? 
so I have to admit, like, I, I'm like a distracted viewer in that, like, I will get caught up in like, like a scene will be going on and I'll like start looking at a costume and like falling down the hole of like, look at the way the feathers are like with those rhinestones. I should own something that's got feathers and rhinestones. I, and so anyway, that happened. And I think I was like looking at her outfit and his sweater and thinking like, those sweaters don't seem very good for like a cold mountain. I remember being like, they need a waterproof like North Face jacket. And like, as I was saying that, then the next thing I heard is like him going like, you like, hee And I was like, wait, did he just... Did he just die? And I think, I remember I went to Google and I was like, Matterhorn, Auntie Mame. And they were like, that's when Bo dies. And I was like, oh, he did just die. <laughs> but like, I got so, I was so caught up in the sweaters. I can't, like with decadent costumes and movie and sets like that, I like fall crazy for the art department. That's how I knew you were going to love this. Because I remembered you, you really liked the first movie we watched together, which was How to Marry a Millionaire. You were not so crazy about the second. And so I made sure the yeah, next time. Yeah, what was the second movie? It was The Devil and Miss Jones. Do you remember? Oh, yes, uh, Undercover Boss. Store. Yeah, I like opulent. So I made sure this time that you had a very opulent piece. You really, it too much so, because I think I got lost in- But it's funny the, that you said the sweaters, because I never once thought about that or noticed it. So I'm so glad you did bring it up, because I wasn't thinking that. And now you just added an extra layer of richness to my viewing. <laughs> I hate that my like ADD brain does that, but I truly like, I can get lost on like the smallest detail. But that's life. Hey, I'm enjoying the buffet of this movie. Yeah, you Don't are. starve, Sarah. No, well, most poor suckers are starving to death. We're going to live, which also distracted me as a total side note. Mame is going to write her book. She eventually does call it Live, Live, Live. But I was like, wait, when you read Live, 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 it could be Live, Live, Live. And it was hurting me so much that people that seeing really the book funny. wouldn't know if it was Live or Live. Live, Live, Live. Oh, that is really funny. Yeah, we need to change that in the English language. Is there any other word that's like that? Oh, I'm sure there's so many, but I can't think of them right now. I'm sure there are. There has to be. Yeah, like, English be. is bananas. Live, 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 live. Yeah, we need, like, some accent or something. Yeah. Anyway, Auntie Mame comes home. Next vignette, she comes home. She's playing the role of the grieving widow, and it's kind of hilarious. Because you know she's sad, but it's been, like, ten months, so she's, you know on the cusp of it but they talk about how she went through Europe revisiting all their old sites that they had gone to together so she comes home to her Beekman Street apartment which is again every scene it's a different thing you know there are so many different styles with each mood of Mame and I love that about it her nephew Patrick decides that she is going to write a book and that's how she's going to feel better about life so he hires her a secretary we meet the incomparable Agnes Gooch what a character what a character she won the Tony for this role she was nominated for an Oscar for this role that's Peggy Cass I'm so glad you said that because I was watching it and I was like, I wonder if this woman gets credit for this movie because, like, obviously Rosalind Russell is, like, stealing the show in every scene, but I was just like, this woman is a fucking, like, powerhouse on her own, carrying her own character and physical comedy. Oh, good. I'm so yes. glad she was yes, recognized. Yes, she was recognized. Also, when I was watching it, I was like, Jamie needs to play this role. Jamie, <laughs> you need to play that role somehow, somewhere. I feel like you would be really good at this role, too. Really? Oh, they... Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when I saw it with Liam, he was like, I think that you should play the Gooch. And I was like, do I have to? <laughs> no, she's such a wonderful role. She's such a wonderful role. Gooch is fantastic. I'm so glad she got recognized, because I was really thinking that I was like, that's wonderful. I actually feel like she was recognized more than Rosalind Russell was, and I'm a little bitter about that. <laughs> like, I'm happy she was recognized, but I'm like, also, Rosalind Russell, please. Wait, she won the Academy Award she, for that? No, she won the Tony, but she got nominated for the Academy Award. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, can I also just say, which I, I was watching too, which kind of plays into the vignettes you were talking about and the costumes, really everything. Like when I was watching this, and I think we've talked about this before, it made me like, well, sad for a few reasons. Like movies have come so far, which is great for movies. Good for you, movies. But like, I feel like we've strayed so far from theater and movies and theater. And they even say like, as, as an actor, there's like, stage acting and film acting and they're very different and like I miss when movies felt more theatrical and the style of acting was broader and like I don't know I don't want to like be an elitist like BFA theater major but I'm kind of like I feel like you have to have more talent to like perform that way because like you don't rely on up close it's like people are acting and stamina yeah and like training and like physical comedy that's like I don't know, so much with, like, film casting and the style of films, like, you hear about them, like, bringing in real people to play these roles who then get nominated for an Oscar, and you're like, is this person actually deserving of an Oscar, or do they just fit the role really well, and, like, they got cast, whereas, like, and that ties into what you were saying, too, like, with Rosalind Russell and the Agnes woman and people, you go, like, these are real stage actors who are, like, really good at what they do, and, like, working so hard, and I love, so that's also a segue to say, I love that the same people who were in the Broadway production were scooped up to do the movie. Cause I feel like whenever that happens in Hollywood nowadays or in on Broadway, vice versa, they like Hollywoodify the movie and make it all pretty people who are anyway. I hear that. Yeah. Well, actually only four people ended up transferring from the play. It was Rosalind Russell, uh, Peggy Cass, who played Gooch, the little boy who played Patrick Dennis. He has a, like a Swedish or Danish name that I don't, it's like, Jan Heldsnick or something like that. He became a trial lawyer in LA. That's what, what I read about him. And I was like, okay. And uh, Ido. Ido came from the play. So those were the four people that transferred. I was surprised like Vera didn't transfer from the play. But she probably was busy. She had she had like a, <laughs> she had shit to do. Because I actually don't know this actress very well that plays Vera, and I don't know the one in the play either. So I was like, I wonder why they didn't. I mean, whoever played Vera was great. But you're right, there's a certain muscle that you have to use to be a theater actor. I just, yeah, I miss the practical effects and the, the the theatricality of films. And you don't really see that anymore. You don't. It takes a special film to showcase that. Because I think there are certain films that get experimental and try to do things like that, but they need incredibly talented people with stamina and understanding of character and things like that and, like, work ethic to do it. I feel like, I don't want to shit all over Hollywood. I've talked about this before, but I feel like the style of acting on a lot of TV shows now is just like you have to look beautiful and keep your face really still and just say your lines. And that's like acting yeah, right now. It, and it makes me so, <laughs> yeah. ugh, it makes me so mad to tie into what you were saying about what Meryl Streep said too. Cause like everyone knows that Meryl Streep is the greatest actress in the mm-hmm. world. Yes. And I she, would even say the greatest actor, like better actor, than the men. Yes. She is yes. the best. Yes. If you see her in, in Angels in America, that rabbi role blew me away. Um, but it's crazy to me that we go like, this is the kind of acting we as a society value, yet we keep going back to this fucking bullshit, big tits, like blonde hair, beauty queen style. So I go like, if you want more Meryl Streep's and like people to like look up to who's like, we admire make more roles and things that like foster to real actors and like yeah it's just crazy to me that we fall into that like it's backwards although i just realized something as you were saying that while this movie is so progressive and inclusive and i'm going to put on like the 2020 lens there are no like really people of color besides ito so like 
I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I just wish we had more people that reflected our actual country, what yes. we look like, not just Definitely. like our ethnicities, our sizes. And I wish we yeah. valued like a deeper level of training. And we do, because you're right, Meryl Streep is an actress. There are lots of really talented actresses and actors out there. Um, I just, yeah, I wish we had more, more of a mix in general is what I always wish for. Yeah, it's always just funny to me what society values in the long run versus what they value in the short run. Like, and I just go like, if you value, if you know what you what you like, why don't you show love to that now? Anyway. So our next vignette, what did we just finish with? I don't even remember. Oh, Bo, Bo dies. She comes home. She's writing her book. We're introduced to the very stupid character of Brian O'Banion. This is what makes no sense to me about the movie. So who's that again? Okay. You're, you're about to remember because he's stupid. So Patrick is like, Auntie Mame, you're going to write you a book. I've set it all up. I got you your secretary. Here she is, Agnes Gooch. I got you this editor guy. He's awesome. He's Irish. My friend knows him. Come on in. Brian O'Banion comes in. He has the worst Irish accent I've ever heard. Is it Irish? I don't think it is. He pretends he was injured in like the war in Ireland and he's got a limp, but it turns out he's really just a fortune hunter. When Mame first sees him, she is very physically attracted to him and makes sexual remarks. And then we cut to later, he hits on her and she's not into it. And I was like, this storytelling is a weird, they, they need to get their storytelling clear because they have her working with Brian O'Banion. O'Banion is useless and does nothing and does not help her and is like a selfish sponge, which is funny that I said sponge because Agnes goes, I'm your sponge. Um, you're right. I probably could play Agnes as well. We should just both play Agnes. It'll be a Let's dual do role. It. We'll, yeah, we'll tag out. <laughs> Um, but I feel like they didn't make all that clear. Cause like Patrick comes in and he's like, why are you working with O'Banion? And I'm like, cause you hired him, Patrick. Like they, it's the movie forgets very quickly that Mame was just very sexually attracted to Brian O'Banion and that Patrick Dennis hired Brian O'Banion. Cause the next scene, it's like Patrick is pissed that O'Banion is there and she is like, ew, Brian O'Banion, get away from me. So I feel like they needed to clear that up in storytelling personally. Can we just pause for a second and say that the name Brian O'Banion is like a great name. They did a great job. Brian O'Banion. Brian O'Banion. Yeah, She has a, a better Irish accent than he does when she's making fun of him. I just want to point that out. That's a really good point. Um, and also at this point, so Mame has different hair throughout the film. She starts off with dark hair. She becomes a blonde when she becomes Southern. And now she's a redhead when the Irishman enters. Oh, well, I didn't even notice that. I must have been distracted by some other jewel or velvet. Her boa. costume in the scene is gorgeous. She's wearing that brown silk, like... Oh, my God, the pants. Suit. Uh, what is it? It's like a, the skirt over the pants thing. I don't know. It was all I love it. so decadent and beautiful. beautiful. I feel like it was something that um, what's-his-face has worn. The Broadway actor who's been- Billy like, Porter. Billy Porter. For sure. Like, for sure. That's such a 50s look, too, but I, it's so gorgeous. The pants with the skirt over it. I don't know what it's called, but I love it. So, yeah, she's got that outfit on. Brian O'Banion's useless and not helping her. Um, fun fact, in the book, her book is titled Buffalo Gal. <laughs> instead of live, 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 because the start of the book is my puberty in Buffalo was bleak. That was the first line of the book. I like live, live, live better. <laughs> Me too. Um, so, okay. Sorry. Plot furthering. O'Banion sucks. We hate him. He's still involved in the project. But he's got She's a great not name. Work done. He's got a great name. He looks kind of like Vincent Price. Just going to put that out there. And Agnes Gooch totally has a crush on him. Mame does not want to go to a party with O'Banion because she wants to get him out of her hair. She realizes he's a fortune hunter. 
Um, so she devises a scheme where she tells Brian O'Banion that Agnes secretly is like wealthy and royalty kind of, <laughs> and he believes it because he's dumb. And she dresses up Agnes, and Agnes looks smoking hot. And she takes off Agnes's glasses, and Agnes can't see. And Agnes gets drunk and um, has sex with Brian O'Banion and becomes pregnant. And she's an unwed mother. So there's that whole story. And then also during this bit, Patrick comes back in and he's like, Auntie Mame, it's so good to see you. Guess what? I have fallen in love with this girl, Gloria Upson, the girl we have been waiting to talk about all podcast. Oh my God, Gloria Upson. I love her so much. I cannot, I can't with her. She reminds me of um, Hairspray. Oh, Amber? Girl, Amber Von Tussle. Yes, Amber Von Tussle. She reminded me of, um, have you ever seen The Talented Mr. Ripley? No. <laughs> it's a really good movie and it's like very dark and not like this at all. But um, Kate Blanchett is in it. She's like, I'm Meredith Logue of the Long Island, or of the Connecticut Logues, or whatever the hell she's from. And that was all I could think of. I bet you she like watched this for inspiration. That's- Fantastic. Yeah, she her accent was so insane, too. My the God. accent slays me. So Gloria is the epitome of spoiled, obnoxious, rich, white lady. She's the worst. And she's very beautiful, but Patrick only sees her beauty and not her awful obnoxiousness with the greatest accent. What I wrote down her lines, because her lines are the ones that are quoted the most at those screenings. Interesting. Really top draw. That's what it was. Every line that she says is perfect. Uh, she elevates that role so much. She being Joanna Barnes plays that role. I looked her up. She's in The Parent Trap. She plays Whoa. Vicky in The Parent Trap. Right? She's so funny. And wait a second. And wait, she's wait, also wait, wait, in uh, Spartacus. She plays Vicky. Is that the, 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 like, the mean one? The stepmom? Yes, she plays the stepmom. Everything out of her mouth is hilarious. Even, like, throwaway bullshit lines are hilarious out of her mouth. And, like, her physical comedy is good, too. What's her name? Joanna Barnes is her name. Yeah. She didn't do, like, she didn't do a ton of stuff, but she was perfect in this. But, yeah, she's just spoiled and obnoxious. Mame goes to meet her parents in Connecticut, and they are also just terrible and spoiled and obnoxious. I would be remiss if I forgot to mention one of my favorite lines in this movie, where at the beginning of the movie, when Mame is talking to Mr. Babcock and telling, like, they're deciding about Patrick's future. He says he has to get into all the best uh, schools. He, he needs places that are restrictive and exclusive. And Mame's line to him is exclusively what and restricted to who. So when she goes back to Connecticut, they also are bringing up like, well, we things have to be restricted and we want to buy, we want these kids to get married. We've planned out their whole future and we want to buy them the house next door. Um, but we live in a restricted district and a Jewish person wants to buy the place next door and we can't have that. And I watch that being like, hi, I'm a Jewish person. So you think I'm like atrocious? Well, I think you're a piece of shit. Yeah. I, I, can I just do my little Jewish thing? I will never, ever understand why people hate Jewish people so much. Like, do they not understand that we are also just people? Like, I was born, and my parents were like, hey, guess what? You're going to go to Hebrew school. That's it. That's what being Jewish means. It doesn't mean anything else. Like, I'm a human being that was raised yeah. doing, like, Jewish cultural things instead of you doing Christian cultural things. Why is that so heinous? Like, it, it will never make sense to me. The fact that, like, the hate persists when I'm like, mm -hmm. you realize I'm also just a human. We just grew up with different <laughs> religions. That's it. 
So anyway, I would not have been allowed in that community. <laughs> Again, don't want to be in that community. I don't want to be, as Auntie Mae puts it, an Aryan from Darien with braces on my brains. I don't want that. But yes, so Mame sees how awful these people are. She sees how terrible Patrick's life will be. And she goes, I got to fix this. So she engineers the most brilliant showdown of all. She invites them to her home, so which she has recently redone in a Danish futuristic fashion. Don't they have like a famous SNL skit where like the Fred Armisen, they like play these Swedish people that like invite people over to their homes and they have chairs that like you can't sit on because they're like so crazy designed. And I remember watching this and I was like, they stole that from Auntie Mae. Patrick comes in and he's like, nothing crazy, Auntie Babe. And she's like, I just want them to feel as cozy as they made me feel. Mm-hmm. So she does that. She serves them rattlesnake. She invites all of her friends who are friends of Patrick. Patrick as well. She's genius in that she has like copies of her book brought in and she shows them to Patrick. So he's reading them and remembering all the beautiful times and he can really see the difference between his old life and his friends and how the new people in his life cannot handle it or respond to it. They double down on their horribleness and he sees Glory for who she really is and he dumps her. But not before that really great ping pong ball moment. So... Mame is talking about all the crazy things she's done. So is Patrick. So is everybody. And Glory's like, well, you could write a story about my life. Once, I was playing ping pong with my friend. And she, like, goes into this whole stupid story. And the whole punchline is that they, like, squashed the ball. And she, she goes, it was ghastly. And, that's, and they needed a new ball. That's, like, the big story of her life that she has to share that she needs attention for. Mame has also smartly found a beautiful secretary named Pegine, who's clearly like Patrick's perfect equal match, and they fall in love. And then the movie ends like 10 years in the future. Patrick and Pegine have a kid, and Auntie Mame is going to take that kid to India and show him the world. She's going to open doors that he never even knew were closed. And it's the beautiful end of the movie. Um, but the Upsons, back to the, we had been wanting to talk about them the whole time. Do you have anything left unsaid about the ma- majesty that is the Upsons? No, it, they just represent an awful part of society where I just go like, ew, I don't want to be an Upsons. Well, and why do they think they have to control it? Because in Mame's world, you're allowed to be anything. Like, you don't have to be so restricted. You can be whoever you want. And I feel like the people like the Upsons are like, no, you all have to be like us. Everyone has to be the same and cookie cutter, and this is the only way to do it. Whereas Mame's way is like, nah, there's lots of ways to do it. What about the Mame life? So, and you don't have to be a bigot. I like that Patrick calls Mm -hmm. her a bigot. I like that that is included. He's like, I don't want to be with you. You're a bigot. And I was like, yes. That is true. Valid reason to not want to be with someone. Um, also, of course, the chairs, Auntie Mame has them all sit on chairs that like go up and down and there's chaos with the up and down of the chairs, especially when, oh my God, that the moment of the up and down chairs happens when she tells them that the Jewish person is going to move next door. So Auntie Mame has the brilliant idea to buy the land next door to the Upsons. (laughs) They own the ups and downs. She bought the area next to it and she is going to make it a refugee for Jewish children. (laughs) The Abraham Epstein Foundation. Which is brilliant. I'm also like, ooh, I don't know if that's good for those Jewish kids to like be forced to have to be next to people that hate them. I feel them, like it's good. But to maybe it's yeah. good to diversify yeah. the area. But I also, I really love that because their reaction is huge. They all freak out. Glory like faints onto the strings that are holding up the chairs. Everyone's chairs are going crazy. It gives super broad comedy again. I love it. It's great. And then Agnes finds out that she really did marry Brian O'Banion and she's not an unwed mother after all. She feels great about that. She's great. Everyone, they're like, what does Mr. Gucci? And she's like, my father. 
mother. And he's like, no, no, your husband. Then she cries when she finds out they're talking about her husband. And Auntie Mame takes her in because that would have been like a scandal back then to have an unwed mother in your house. And I think it's so funny. I mean, Auntie Mame, for, I'm actually, I was kind of sad that they like married her because part of me liked that she was living this like, I hate that the word spinsters coming to mind. It's like a bohemian independent single woman badass. I've got my own back. Right, right, right. <laughs> the reason I went to the word spinsters is that's what they would have called someone like her in the 50s. And so I liked that they like, I didn't even think they needed to marry her. Like I kind of liked that like she was just strongly like in unmarried, rich, living her best life. But yeah, you're right. She didn't need to get married. But I do like that if she did get married, it was really for love. It wasn't. Totally. Totally. It's funny because I was just rereading. I'm such a nerd. I was just rereading Emma. It was the part where she's talking about like how, yeah, I don't think I want to get married because mm-hmm. life isn't going to get better than my situation now. I really enjoy my life as it is. And Harriet's like, are you sure, Emma? I've never heard of a woman not getting married. And she's like, I think she says um, the only reason that people call certain women spinsters are because they're poor and I'm rich. So Love I'm going to have an awesome unmarried life. And I was like, yeah, Emma, you will. But she does get married. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Emma's <laughs> clueless, right? That share. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read Emma, but I've seen Clueless too many times. Yeah. Clueless might actually be better than Emma. I love Jane Austen, but Clueless is a really good movie. Clueless is so good. Um, we covered so much. Ori Kelly did the costumes. I want to say that. Ori Kelly's a famous costume designer. He did An American in Paris. Oh, he did course. Some Like It Hot, Casablanca. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we didn't talk about that we should have. Because what I feel like I did was I just told you the plot of the movie several times. Um... Martin DaCosta directed. He didn't do too many other things. He did like The Music Man and then went back to the theater. Oh, we haven't even talked about the writers. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. We need to mention them really quick. Betty Comden and Adolph Green wrote this, this screenplay. They are famous um, for writing like lyrics, libretti, and um, script screenplays for several Broadway and uh, like musical movies, movies that you know and love. They wrote them. So like Singing in the Rain, they wrote the screenplay for that. Um, they're like legendary. They wrote the screenplay for the movie on the town. They wrote the, for, like the Broadway play, they wrote the script for Wonderful Town, Aww. which is excellent. Bells are ringing, one of my favorites. I love that one. So they're like just exceptionally talented writers. They won the Kennedy Center Honors in 1991. So I wanted to mention them because they're truly excellent and they wrote this. And they're really good at combining, like, comedy and heart. And they always have awesome women in their scripts. So I wanted to mention them. Town has a great selection of female roles that are, like, all different kinds of personalities, all very powerful. Like, this Auntie Mame reminds me of a, who's the zoologist woman? Oh, 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 the Ann Miller part. I forget her name. Claire. Oh, we didn't talk about the list really quick, too. At the party, one of my other favorite things is she tells Patrick, hey... If you hear any words you don't understand, here's a notepad, write them down and ask me at the end of the night. And so he does, he writes down all of these really cute things. And I was thinking like, oh, the 50s people were so scandalized by like libido, stinko, free love. And he goes, Karl Marx, is he a Marx brother? (laughs) So cute. And I love that it's so specific to not now. Like, those words are stupid now. Like, no one... I didn't even think of that. That was, like, a way to educate or, like, make fun of people that didn't know. She goes, you won't need to know this for years. She crumples it up. I love that dynamic. The dynamic of a little boy and this, like, opulent bohemian woman. It's such a... That's such a fun, like, duo. I love it. I'm so glad you liked this movie. I sincerely love this movie. I think everyone should watch it. It's so 
Like words to describe anti-meme are like inclusive, loving. There's a line that Nora has that's like, you're odd, but you're loving. And I'm like, yeah. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It will cheer you right up. It's great for the holidays. You can watch it as a family. You can slowly educate your like very intense white relatives (laughs) if you have them. I feel like it's one of the most progressive movies ever, really. And like just in general for its time too, I'm just like... And it takes place in the 20s for the most part, which I think is like very emblematic. It was like a new era in the 20s. Well, oh, I will say one more thing is that sometimes I watch this and I like to think that my little brother is like Patrick and that I am like his anti-meme. So even though I'm clearly not, I would love to be anti-meme and be that like fearless and sassy and like elegant and cool... I'm not, you know, I've got, I've got doubts. I have so many doubts, but I still go on adventures. I still have adventures. And I like to think that I helped my brother not be a Knickerbocker bank man. I like to think that. I I like that too. I feel like in my marriage, I feel like Andrew, he studied economics. Like I, I am definitely the anti-mame to his Patrick. Like I bring the leopard pants. (laughs) <laughs> into his suit wearing lifestyle I like that Jamie is currently wearing leopard pants so Jamie thank you so much for being here I had so much fun with you thanks for being my guest and for watching this movie thank you for gifting me this movie I feel like this is thank you for being my auntie Mame in this sense and opening this door that I never even knew existed well on that note we'll see you next time on Talk Classic to Me oh hey everybody Sarah Greenfield here Uh, We forgot to include the double feature portion of our show yesterday in my conversation with Jamie. We were shooting at a later time than usual for both of us, and uh, we were having fun chatting with each other, and we just forgot. So I'm going to tell you right now. The movies that you could watch this with, a great double feature to watch with Auntie Mame, would be Gypsy with Rosalind Russell playing Mama Rose, which, you know, that's great. Check that one out. Um, I would also say Hello, Dolly would be a fun double feature with this. You've got your glorious Technicolor. You've got Barbara Streisand playing a sassy lady who changes the lives of the people around her with her sheer personality, just like in MAME. And Jerry Herman wrote the music to Hello, Dolly, and he also wrote the music for MAME when it became a musical, so there's a good tie-in. Maybe one more movie to check out would be My Sister Eileen with uh, Rosalind Russell, and if it was truly up to me, your true double feature would be if we somehow had Rosalind Russell's performance in Wonderful Town, the play, the musical that she did. I mean, we have the Broadway recordings, there was like a TV version made of it, but if we could have Wonderful Town with Rosalind Russell as an actual movie, which doesn't exist, really, unless again, you count the made-for-TV version that no one can find, I would say watch that or listen to that soundtrack. And uh, those are my recommendations. That's your double feature for the day. All right, everybody. Have a great week. And thank you for listening to Talk Classic to Me. (laughs) 